Hey, everybody, welcome back to the JEDCast, Dialogues with Changemakers. I am your host, Mara Claremont, and the chair of the Claremont Lincoln University MPA Advisory Council, Jed Liano. I am not riding shotgun with my partner, Dr. Audrey Jordan. Dr. Jordan is unavailable today, and it'll just be me with our guest, Nina Smith. Nina is a political communications professional who used to work for Governor Martin O'Malley, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, Barack Obama, and then the Pete Buttigieg for President campaign. And she is here to talk about Community Groundwork, a nonprofit organization that she started to bring up young people of color, specifically community college students, to get jobs in politics. I can't think of a better person to talk with when we think about engaging typically disenfranchised communities in a field that regardless of people's political affiliation, seems to be pretty exclusionary. So really excited to have you with us. Looking forward to talking to Nina. And coming up soon, Community Groundworks, Nina Smith. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the JEDCast. And with us today is Nina Smith, board member from Community Groundwork. Nina, great to have you with us. How are you today? I'm feeling fantastic, even if it's a Monday. That's right. And I'm glad that you were with us to talk about an organization that you sit on the board of. You wear many hats that I just brought up, but the thing that we are here to talk about today is you on the board of Community Groundwork. Tell me about Community Groundwork, what it is, and how it got started. Well, um, thanks for having me, Jed, on. Really excited to talk about Community Groundwork, which is a nonprofit organization made up of a board of professionals with wide variety of backgrounds in politics who help find and train and mentor uh, community college students and help them, you know, explore and launch civic careers. So Nina, there are a lot of places that help kids get internships. And there's a lot of places that help kids get internships in politics. What makes community groundwork different? I mean, we focus on community college students, which a lot of times, you know, the political space, unfortunately, is still a very white space. It's still very uh, focused on traditional, you know, higher education institutions. And though there are random opportunities for people to move into that space, generally it's, it's dominated by kids with that particular profile. And so what makes community groundwork different is bringing some of the nation's top tier operatives and professionals and connecting them with community college students who typically wouldn't have access to those folks. That's absolutely fascinating. Take me back a step and let's talk about the conditions under which community groundwork arose. This is your space. This is not my space. I'm not familiar with the staffing of congressional offices, consulting firms that handle campaigns. So you mentioned that the profile of the pool of rising talent the interns, the college seniors, the college juniors, the grad students that are getting these opportunities at these places, that they fit a profile of affluent and white. Tell me why is that? Why is that the place? If politics in general is more broadly represented, why does the rising professional talent look different? Well, I mean, like many things that exist within systemic racism, it's about knowing how the system works. It's about having access to information and access to particular individuals and opportunities. And so, you know, 
especially within the halls of power, that has been exclusively a white male um, heterosexual dominated space where people who don't fit that profile aren't necessarily, you know, represented or heard. And so there's been a general resistance to changing that space. And so it takes a lot of times people with drive and experience who want to change that space for, uh, you know, organizations like Community Groundwork to exist. I know that a lot of the internships in political offices, oftentimes those are unpaid opportunities. Mm -hmm. So when you have internship opportunities that are fundamentally not for pay, does that skew the applicant pool, the talent pool who are eligible to participate in those programs? And then, and then what is the consequence of that only being free work? What does that cause the, the qualified talent pool to look like? Well, I mean, I'll speak even to my experience as um, someone who came from a non-traditional space. I went to an HBCU and I was told that, you know, majoring in political science at an HBCU, I probably wasn't going to be able to work after I graduated college. And so there's a general attitude that people have towards these institutions that, you know, put kids at a disadvantage. Traditionally, kids who come from these um, institutions, we have to work. I worked three jobs and went to school full time while I was, you know, in college. And so, you know, I couldn't necessarily be in a space that didn't pay. Like that meant that I was sacrificing maybe books um, for class or, you know, um, meals uh, that I would need to, you know, feed myself because, tuition, what didn't, you know, or any financial aid didn't necessarily cover the cost of feeding myself and, and what I needed to live. And so, you know, a lot of times community college students are facing those certain circumstances of having that disadvantage. Even kids who end up in a space, you know, at uh, predominantly white institutions, they even struggle to keep up with their peers because of those disadvantages, particularly economically. They don't have trust funds <laughs> or money coming in on a regular basis. Right. And then you fact you consider the fact that, so we're talking about people, we're talking about students that want to enter careers in politics. And this is a very targeted space. You know, it's not like studying communications or engineering. There's so many different ways to do it. So Help me understand the lay of the land right now in politics, either in legislative offices, in campaigns, or in the consulting side. Does the diversity of the workforce match, I guess, the mirrored diversity of the electeds that, that actually serve and hire? No. What we are seeing, again, in the halls of power doesn't necessarily represent, you know, the people or the growth of the population, right? I mean, we just had census numbers that came out that showed that the white population is actually shrinking in the U.S. for the first time in 70 years. If we're thinking about that and we look at the Senate, where I believe there may be two Hispanic senators, there are no Black women in the U.S. Senate currently, and these are the people who are making some of the most important and impactful decisions on our daily lives, and there's no one in there who looks like me. Um, it's something that I've experienced being in political spaces, you know, being one of the only senior women of color or Black women in the room, having to, you know, carry the weight and burden of being that representative voice um, and lone voice. Uh, when they're having these sorts of important conversations. And so 
it's again, I, I've told people before, like I've seen more of my peers who have graduated from HBCUs or took non-traditional paths, you know, succeed, but it's still too far, too few in between. Um, so I never knew this. Like I always thought, you know, there are fields that, and there's probably a lot of social science and research behind this. There are fields. I, I know that that there's a major gender imbalance in engineering. I just happen to know that because some, some of my friends, their daughters are in engineering camp and they were recruited because they want to get more young girls studying and then entering careers in engineering. So politics is still not fully integrated at the professional level. Is that correct? Not at all. And again, I mean, more and more people are, you know, being socialized into the space. I think the internet, TikTok, in particular amongst young people, I think is activating young people at younger and younger ages and they're learning how to organize um, earlier. And particularly for people of color, like this has been, these are spaces that we dominate, Black Twitter, you know, TikTok is another space. So I think it's changing I and mean, it's more or less young people taking control of educating themselves in the absence of it, the institutions giving them the, those opportunities. So you come in and you're one of the first, I understand Community Groundwork is a relatively new organization. You're building from the ground up. Okay. Tell me the impact now. Tell me you have a mission, you have a goal. We've kind of walked through the conditions of that mission. And then, and then what is your action that you want to do to address those conditions? Tell me so far how it's going and what you're up to. Well, we've held three trainings, if I'm not mistaken, over the course of our existence. We brought about 15 students through the program and worked with a number of community colleges across Southern California, particularly in LA County. Our hope is to continue to expand. You know, we have three folks who are currently working that we've placed who have come through our programs. And so, and then we've also grown our mentorship program where we've connected our students with mentors. So, you know, we, we've had real impact and we're seeing real impact and, you know, witnessing the students grow is just, and really recognizing their own power is, is, is the best part of this work. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm just really curious to know something because you're right now in the process of training these kids you're recruiting, you're connecting kids with professional opportunities. I was listening to another radio show that I listen to daily. And the host said, why would any young people want to be in politics right now? Because there's all this misinformation. People talk out of both sides of their mouth. There's so much dishonesty, insincerity. If you get involved for the right reasons, all that happens is you get trashed and you get destroyed and nobody wants to deal with that. Tell me what you're seeing out there. What is the opinion of the next rising young student generation? What's their opinion of careers in politics from what you're seeing and hearing with the students that you interact with? I mean, it's interesting because their life experiences are actually feeling their passion for you know, getting involved in civics, you know, whether it's through the work that they have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, we have kids who are food servers who are also going to community college and, you know, taking care of their families and supporting their families. It's because of that lived experience that they have that passion to say, I want things to change. Things should be better. It's informing their sense of like what's right in the world and what isn't and, and what we can do to change it and where our power lies. And again, I feel like it's those non-traditional spaces, you know, the, the black Twitters of the world or, you know, TikTok that are just opening up their minds about what's possible and, and how to reach people. 
when you were an HBCU student and then trying to enter and insert yourself into the political space, it was a different situation. And the very thing that you're describing is the impact of social media. Social media was not prominent when I was a college and law student. And now it is fundamentally the source of information. What's the difference between the students that you rose with when you were in college and then the kids you see now coming through community groundwork? What's changed? I, I would say it's that sense that they can actually do something. I think I graduated from college in 2006. So I'm an older millennial. We were a little jaded, you know, we still, Gen, Gen X kind of rubbed off on us a little bit in terms of their cynicism about the world. But then we also came of age during the 2008 financial crisis. A lot of us graduated and didn't have jobs coming out of college. And we, we had six figure stu student debt. And so our experience was just a little bit different in terms of the hope we had coming into adulthood. I think there's almost a sense of optimism and belief in their own um, self-determination that, I mean, even in how they identify themselves, it's totally different. And I, I think it's, I think it's the one thing that might just save us. <laughs> right. You know, you have to pass it along to the people that aren't totally destroyed by cynicism like you and me. Right. That's Give right. it to somebody who actually <laughs> believes they can do some good in the world. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so Nina, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, when you're starting an organization that wants to turn the tables, you know, we talked earlier about how do young people get started in careers in politics and what you've said, it's eye-opening and it's unfortunate, but I'm sure it's steeped in a lot of reality that basically it's a lot of who you know, connection upon connection. Someone is here because they knew the right person. They, they were a part of the right club. And, um, and you're trying to turn that around. You're trying to undo some of that. I hear whenever I talk to people who are embarking on something new, we always start talking about the success and why it's good. But there's probably some people challenged and threatened by that because you're bringing in a new crop. You're doing things differently. Tell me about some of the, um, some of the difficulties you face because you're challenging the way people think about recruiting and placement and training. Is there any of that out there? Negativity, opposition? people who feel threatened, competitive, uncomfortable with your work? Hopefully not. I mean, here's the thing, you know, if you are of the idea that, you know, civics is about people getting engaged with what is going on in their neighborhoods and, and society, then you want more folks involved. If you don't, then, you know, maybe your motives are a little suspect, you know, and that's where I'll leave it. But I really feel like the more people get involved, the more we're having different voices, participating in this very important conversation in our future, you know, the better off we'll be. I'm saying that as a person of color. Now, people who will power, yes, they're definitely going to feel challenged because we are trying to change and reshape and upend the idea of who is in these positions, who's running civics and who's engaged civically. There have been active efforts to push back against that engagement, their active efforts to take away our right to vote, to protest, to, you know, engage in those many ways. And so, yes, the people who like things the way they used to be are going to feel challenged and, and that's okay. Give me some examples. I, I know that you've probably already placed some students already. You've probably already connected some kids. 
with some opportunities that without community groundwork, maybe that's not an option. Give me some success stories. Tell me where you put some of these kids and what they've been able to work on since the organization has launched. Well, um, you know, we do a lot of advocacy work outside of community groundwork. And so we also noticed that there was a lack of opportunity for kids to get into that space. So, you know, they're doing research for nonprofit organizations that train organizers on the ground across the country. They're doing, you know, participating in terms of local elections and city elections around LA County. And so we've had kids, you know, actually take over some of the trainings and, and actually do our social media. So there are different ways that we've had our kids, you know, engage and really connect with mentors, but also to do actual work that impacts them both immediately, but also nationally through advocacy work. Let's talk about how folks can get involved. We've got a wide range of people who listen to this show. Some of it's academic, some people who study policy and teach policy listen to the show. Sometimes we have people who are involved in legislative offices like city halls and, and state legislative offices. If someone hears what you're up to and wants to help community groundwork, how can people plug in and be a part of your process? Well, there are a number of different ways. One, you can flag opportunities for our kids and, and consider our kids for opportunities in your offices. Another way is for you to volunteer. Most important is for you to donate. A lot of times what we try to do is when the kids are going through our training process, we try to compensate them for their time. You know, I think those are some of the most important things. We're definitely looking for mentors. And so, you know, there are just so many different ways you can get involved. You can visit us at www.communitygroundwork.com. Visit our website and check us out. We're also on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter as well, and follow our work. But, you know, we're, we're always looking for volunteers and more help and more hands and more opportunities. Love, love that. I look forward to finding out after the airing of this show that people reached out to you and said that, you know, I wrote you a big check because I heard you on the Jedcast. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be looking forward to hearing about that. That's something you can brag about. That's right. And I'm really excited, not just hearing about your organization, but, uh, but to talk to you. We've had a lot of politicians on the show, but we haven't had a lot of people on the show who've worked for politicians. And you have a pretty illustrious career that we've talked about in the opening. I'd love to just hear from you. You've worked presidential campaigns. You've worked for governors. You've worked in Congress. Um, you've worked countless campaigns. Do you have a favorite politician you've worked for and a funny story from one of those either campaigns or offices that you can tell without getting anyone in too much trouble? Because I know that you've got a Rolodex and a hard drive between those ears of great stories from politics. So that's my favorite thing about politics is that it nets great stories. Like when my time in politics is over, I'm going to be able to tell my son some really funny stories. But do you have one that stands out and is entertaining that the listeners will enjoy? Hmm, okay, it's probably a nerdy one. Um, that's okay. This is a very nerdy show. So okay, you're in the right place. Go for it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So for all the policy nerds out there, first of all, I can't pick a particular favorite because I, like you said, I've been very lucky to have worked with really brilliant public servants. They, they weren't necessarily politicians. They were public servants and they really believed in this notion and idea of serving the people. So I'm very grateful, but I do have a favorite story because I think people underestimate just how effective this individual is. And I'm talking about Maxine Waters. And let me tell you, 
for us policy nerds, <laughs> I watched this woman after the Republicans killed a federal agency, the Export Import Bank. I watched her, I'm, you know, I was her press secretary at the time. So we were okay. doing all the comms, but she revived that agency. Okay. Okay. Let it, despite the Republican chairman at the time of the committee, she revived the federal agency with Republican help and undercut a Republican in 2015 to revive a federal agency. Mm -hmm. Like, I, 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 I don't think people realize what a legislative, like, dragon slayer right. <laughs> it's like lazarus she rose it from the dead literally she rose it from the dead <laughs> <laughs> and i was like she's really doing this and she got a republican like people think she's like this liberal vibrant and she is she absolutely is but she's she's also a very effective legislator and she's she was the one who showed me that you can do both you can hold on to your principle you can be a staunch progressive a fiery progressive and still hold people to account, still be effective, still do things like, you know, revive a federal agency or in a Republican Congress, like <laughs> the receipts speak for themselves. Like, right. That's right. Government is back open. That's right. <laughs> Who reopens government when it's dead? That's crazy. <laughs> Cheated. I love it. Nina, a plethora of stories. I think I'm going to have you back when we do our happy hour episode because we've had some really entertaining guests. And so I will definitely invite you back for that. Do me a favor before I let you go, please tell me where can people find you and Community Groundwork? Okay, you can check out Community Groundwork at www.communitygroundwork.com. And, you know, me, I think it's just best you follow community groundwork. I'm usually involved <laughs> in on social. So usually tweeting about like crate challenges and, you know, supernatural. I love supernatural. There so. you go. <laughs> love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, it is always a pleasure to talk to somebody who is taking a system that exists in its imperfection and turning it upside down. And that's why I'm so happy to have you on the show to hear about your organization, Nina Smith from Community Groundwork and countless campaigns and offices. It is a pleasure to have you on the show with us today. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And what an awesome interview with Community Groundwork's Nina Smith. I got my co-host back with me, Dr. Audrey Jordan. Audrey, love to hear your thoughts on that interview with Nina Smith. Yeah, Jed, when I had a chance to listen, I was so, the passion that Nina had just came through. And, and I thought one of the biggest reasons for that listening to her talk was she identified with them. That was her. And, and it reminds me of the power of representation and people being able to see themselves in their leaders and the leaders feeling connected. You know, this interview was really fascinating to me because when we think of political communication, we take a look at the product of that. We see things on social media. We see things on television. We see things in print. We rarely think about who's behind it, who's putting that together. And listening to Nina, you know, we just straight up asked her, is there representation of women, people of color, underserved communities? And we're still not there yet. And it's kind of easy to just gloss over the ads, gloss over the social media posts. And then you don't realize that this field is still dominated by a workforce 
sorely lacking in diversity. So just glad to to hear where that is right now. Yeah. You know, something that we we kind of just overlook when we see those ads. We don't realize it's dominated by a very monolithic workforce still. Mm -hmm. But what an outstanding conversation. Glad you all could join us. Thanks again for being with us. This conversation with Community Groundworks, Nina Smith, and we will see you next time on the Jedcast.